Why don't you find four or five people on your way back to your seat? Give them a high five. Tell them I'm so glad to see you in the house of the Lord. seated. God bless you. Thank you. Such an honor and a privilege to be here every time I'm able to come home and see what God is doing in this church and the campuses, all the ministry that is connected. I give honor, obviously, to my brother and his wife and family and the leadership team and everyone who's involved in ministry around here. I honor you. Uh, the wonderful presence of the Lord is in this place. Amen. I don't really, I, I've never been able to understood how people live life without this. I've never been able to figure that out. Why would you want to live life without this as a part of it? Amen. Amen. And I have to admit, service like this, powerful prayer, great anointed singing, people dancing and shouting, everything inside of me wants to just go to screaming throw down preaching. Amen. But if you'll allow me, I, I, I do feel directed of the Lord tonight to teach. Amen. And look into the word. Pastor mentioned at the beginning about the power of the word of God and that it's not always connected to our feelings. So that is illustrated right now because I feel like jumping off of this thing and spinning but we're going to teach because that's what God directed us to do. Amen? You can turn in your Bible to the 37th Psalm. I'm not going to begin by reading a text, but there will be many scriptures that we're going to look at tonight. It's going to center around the 37th Psalm, and it's going to center around four words. Everybody say four words. Four words that we find in the 37th Psalm. It a while ago, reading this just kind of grabbed me a little bit. I feel like there's some things in here that could help us, have helped us, have helped generations, and will continue to help us because it is, amen, the word of God that is alive and true. In some Bible studies or commentaries, perhaps, this psalm is given a heading, maybe in your Bible, it's given a heading that God will not forsake his saints. How, that's worth just thanking God for right there, isn't it? That God will not forsake his saints. David writes this 37th Psalm in his old age, and his wisdom and his experience is really shown in the writing here. This is not, this is not kill the lion, David. This is not kill Goliath, David. This is not... Uh, falling for the fleshly and, and the sinful temptations of humanity, David. This is an elder, lived through it, been through it, learned some things. And I can tell you something now. This is that David. 
he sees his kingdom and his people that are struggling, and they're struggling, struggling with some age-old issues. They're struggling with some things that humanity has always struggled with. How many know there's some repetitive things? There's some things that every generation kind of has to deal with, come to grips with, or, or learn. And so he recounts that that which he has learned from God in his life. He's sharing what he has learned. How many are thankful for elders that will open up their mouths and share what they have learned with the next generation? In the 37th Psalm, in verse 1, fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Now, we understand fret and envious are two different things, but the word fret in this context means to burn with anger, to burn with anger, which I find interesting because in my mind, when I read the word fret not, I don't think of something that intense. I don't think of to burn with anger. I think of fret as kind of a shallow emotion, a small emotion. But it is to burn with anger, and envious here means what we would think. It's a jealousy that, that is involved in their heart. The evildoers, the word as it is given to us, is pretty plain. They were simply that. They were people who lived openly evil lives. Is any of that going on in our culture today? They were people that lived openly evil lives. And this total lack of awe, this total lack of respect for God can tend to make the righteous angry. It can make us angry. It can really bother us to just see somebody so blatantly just right out boldly proclaiming something so evil or sinful. It can, it can really mess with people that are trying to live righteous lives. This complete denial of what is good and right can even infuriate those who love the Lord, those who think about the goodness of Jesus, those who think about what he's done for us and what he did for humanity, those who understand the power of the cross can easily slip into an infuriation when we see people just living sinful lives even though Jesus died on a cross for them. It's clear that an evildoer cannot be an evildoer and a child of God at the same time a righteous person at the same time. And jealous, uh, people can become jealous that the unrighteous can seem to be living what looks to be good lives. See that? That's what I'm talking about. How can they live that way and still get the promotion at work? How can they live that way and still have that much money and still live in that? How do they get to live in that house? And I have to live in, amen. It's clear that an evildoer cannot be righteous and expecting an evildoer to act righteously is a fool's errand. 
expecting them to do something righteous when they're living in sin doesn't make any sense. Oh, hallelujah. The question becomes why. Why does God allow them to live in such rebellion to him and his word? Why does God allow them to prosper on the pain of others? Why do they seem to have more or better than than we do? Why? I mean, the honest truth is, is I live my life in a way that there are certain things that even if they come into my mind, I get scared that maybe lightning might strike me down. And you know what I'm talking about. There are certain things that, you know, you're, you're living this apostolic Pentecostal life and holiness and separation unto the Lord. And, and, and the idea of doing something even one millionth of what, what they're doing. And you're thinking, man, if I did that, everything would fall apart. My whole world would be crushed. But then it's hard to relate that to when you look at a world and it's like, well, why are they prospering? Why is it working out for them? How come it's not all falling apart? David wastes little time in hitting the heart of the matter. He gets right to it in verse 2. And he says, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. You have to remember it's the tall, thick, green grass that the mower mows. It's the tall, thick, green grass that they say, we got to go cut that down. It's not so much that they will be cut down soon, though. David is not making the point that the unrighteous or the evildoer is going to get cut down soon. The point he is making with this verbiage here is that when it happens, it happens quickly. He's saying that when it happens, when the cutting comes, when the judgment comes, the life of the evildoer will at times look pleasing and enticing. But the demise of the evildoer will be dramatic and swift when the day comes. Remember what we're told in Matthew 24 and 13. But he that shall endure Unto the end. The same, just so that we're all clear, the one who endures, that same one shall be saved. The life lived in Christ is designed to get us all the way home. It's designed for the long haul, if you will. It's designed to outlast the temporal. It's designed to take me further than my fleshly body was even designed to go. It's designed to get me all the way to glory. This life in Christ is designed to get us home. It's designed that we will accomplish to the end, even to heaven. Even to heaven. The temporary pleasures are sometimes forsaken for eternal reward. Hebrews 10 and 36 says, for you have need of patience. Turn to somebody beside you and tell them, be patient. Now look back at them seriously and say, no, seriously, be patient. (laughs) 
because we have need of patience. That after, somebody say after. After you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. My sister reminded us up here just a few minutes ago that the Bible's full of promises. And we celebrate the promises of the Almighty God. But we remember that sometimes the promise doesn't come to pass until after I've been patient. And after I've been patient, the promise comes to pass. So patience is powerful. David then gives us some words, four words to ponder and put forth in our lives in Psalm 37, 3 through 7. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him. And he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as light, as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Now, there's a lot of things we could focus on there, but if you'll just allow me, I would like to focus on these four words he says here. Trust, delight, commit, and rest. And they are in the Lord. They are all in the Lord. You see, we decide where our affections and our focus will go. I get to decide the things that my heart is going to look towards and my love is going to go towards and my mind is going to think on. I get to decide those things and and we get to make those decisions for ourselves and it, it can either be in the world or it can be in the Lord. Right? Colossians 3, 2-4, set your affection on things above. Not... On things on the earth. I love the Bible's clarity sometimes. I love the way God knew he was going to be dealing with people like me. I love that. He could have just said, set your affection on things above and just let us figure out that that means that we shouldn't set our affections on things on the earth. But he says, I don't want to take any chances because there's going to be people like Jeremy. So he says, set your affection on things above not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. You see, overcoming the pull of the world and its enticements and its temptations requires that my heart be right. It requires that my heart be right. The heart is not automatically right of its own accord. In fact, our heart can be right and then become wrong. I don't know how many times in my ministry that I've talked about this because this is a powerful need-to-know thing about yourself and about ourselves. The heart can be right and become wrong. The heart can be just wrong from the beginning. 
the heart is not very trustworthy. Jeremiah 17 and 5 says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Now Jeremiah here is speaking. The context is interesting. The Jews, because of their fears of the Assyrians and the Babylonians, would often rely on Egypt to protect them. They had gotten in a position where any time Assyria or Babylon would threaten to come and and, and fight against them, they would cry out to Egypt for help. Can you help us? Can you protect us? And Jeremiah is calling them out on this. He's saying, you're not trusting in the Lord. You're trusting in man. You're trusting in the, uh, the ideologies of human battle. You're trusting in their warfare and their capability and their size. But you're not trusting in the Lord. Their heart was following, though, after that which they trusted. You can only turn to Egypt so many times to be your hero before your heart falls in love with your hero. You can only look to the world so many times for help and assurance and confidence before your heart begins to turn to the world. The heart will seek security without considering the trade-offs that are being made. Oh, hallelujah. The heart will seek security without considering the trade-offs The heart will obey whatever seems to be the safest approach. The problem is, is it's the safest approach on the surface. It's the safest approach on the surface. Where I live in Mankato, Minnesota, we have uh, several rivers around us. A few of them come together. and The heat of the summer, yes, it gets hot in Minnesota. In the heat of the summer, some kids will always decide they're going to go down to one of the rivers and they're going to wade around it and swim in it. And every year, people have to be reminded with deaths or near-death experiences the absolute danger of rivers. The danger of rivers is because you cannot tell by looking at the surface of the water of a river how deep it is. And you cannot tell if it's the same depth here as it is right there. Because the nature of flowing water is the constant movement and the obstructions that are always finding new resting places create eddies and flows and stuff, which digs out the ground as water begins to swirl, often under the surface. And so you can be walking in knee-high water and then just step into a hole. You can be walking safely and then just fall. And then you don't have any control. The problem is not only that the ground has fallen out from underneath you, but the water which looked somewhat calm on the surface is actually having a tornado effect under the surface. It's very hard to get out of it. The heart will obey whatever seems to be the safest approach on the surface. Jeremiah goes on to illustrate in a way for us to understand verses 5 through 8. Thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man. 
and make his flesh his arm. His heart departed from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and in not inhabit it. Think about this now. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters. Oh, hallelujah. There are things that look real, but they're not real. You remember when you were a kid and you were driving down an interstate on a hot day and you would see up ahead and it would almost look like there was a lake that went right across the road. And you would think to yourself, we're going to drive right into a lake. But it never came. It was always just seemingly out of reach. It was like... I know it's going to happen, but it doesn't. And people wake up every day of their lives thinking, surely this is going to be the day when that thing that seems like was just out of my reach, that my heart keeps telling me is almost here, that it's going to be the day that I find this thing that my heart longs for so much, and yet they go to bed disappointed again because it's not real. But the Lord says there is a way to live your life where it is like a tree that is planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh but her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought neither shall cease from yielding fruit what do you want do you want to trust in the arm of the Lord and lean not unto thine own understanding or do you want the mirage and the facade I want to be planted by the river I want to be able to spread out my roots. I don't want to worry when the drought comes. Oh, can I tell somebody the absolute value of being able to live in this climate and in this culture, but not have to worry about which way the wind is blowing, not have to worry about if it's a good season or a bad season, not have to worry about whether, oh, hallelujah, if the inflation up or the inflation down. Does it cost more or does it cost less? Why? Because I'm planted by the water and my roots are out and my leaves are high and God's going to take care of his people. Oh, the arm of the Lord is strong. To trust in this world is to miss the best path and instead settle for the wilderness. Now, you can survive in the wilderness, but it's not what God made for you. Oh, hallelujah. It's not what God made for you. That's been the theme of my ministry, it seems like, so far is trying to convince people 
there's more to you than you even know. There's more to you than you even know. There's more to you than what you were ever told growing up. And if you lived in an environment uh, where there wasn't a whole lot of uh, hope and there wasn't a whole lot of you're doing great and you can be anything you want to be, I'm sorry about that. And if somehow that got seated in your mind, I'm sorry about that. But the arm of the Lord is strong and you don't have to live that way the rest of your life. You can wake up to the reality that the God of all heaven and earth spent time when he created you uh, he thought you out uh, he had a reason for you he had a purpose for you he had a plan for you uh, and you may be walking in it today uh, but you may not be and if you're not be I've come to tell somebody get up and start walking in your promise uh, and in your purpose uh, and in the reason you were created in the first place You don't, even, you don't have to live a life where you are careful in the year of drought. Oh, hallelujah. Now remember, when I say that, I started out talking about patience. Remember, it's not like that wasn't a message I preached last time. Patience was part of this one. So what you are doing right now and what is happening right now may not feel like a tree planted by the water. Oh, hallelujah. My God, help us. But to trust in the Lord is to have faith that you can live above the realities of the world. Jeremiah says it plain in verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's not just deceitful. It's not just deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. And then he says, who can know it? Who can know it? Well, you don't know me, preacher. I'm really in tune with myself. I mean, I'm really enlightened. The heart is deceitfully, is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our trust must be in the Lord. But even beyond that, David says there is another level. Psalm 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord. But go quickly now. And he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Trust is an act of obedience. If I say obedience, trust is an act of obedience, but delight is an act of emotional will. Emotional will to seek my happiness in the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. When our happiness is in the Lord, then our heart's desires will follow. Let me say it this way. You don't follow your heart. Your heart follows you as you follow the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. God can give us the proper desires in this life. 
because we won't be seeking after that of the evildoer. Once our obedience and delight is rightly in the Lord, we can determine our behaviors as well. Psalm 37, 5, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. There is a very real reason that our current culture struggles with commitment. Because hearts are after the world, and this world is ever-changing. It's not the same. It's not even like, it felt like when I was young, the elders would say, oh, the world has changed so much. But when they would like, they would say it changed over like 50 years. And that would be nice. Just some consistency for 50 years. Now it's daily. The world changes its mind, its pleasures, its direction Every day, you can't keep up with it. You wake up one day and you, you think, oh, man, look at me. I'm right on. I'm good with the world. I fit the world. And the next day you wake up and you're the one being canceled. You're the one being cut off. You're not good enough anymore. It changes all of the time. And that's why people whose hearts are after the world struggle with commitment. Their trust has them living in the dry and the desolate wilderness. And nobody wants to live in a wilderness. So they keep moving and changing and rethinking. Commitment problems. Their delights are in temporary pleasures and short-lived happinesses. And that's why they have commitment issues. Because like they say, it's all fun and games until it's not Fun and games. Real life happens. Right? Real life happens. The fantasy, the dream, the knight in shining armor finally comes into your life and it's great until he gets off his horse and takes off of his armor. And you're like, what? He looks so good up there on that stallion with his face covered and armor on. But you don't know what's underneath that. If it was that great, he wouldn't have needed the armor. And real life kicks in and you think, I got to be with this person. I got to live with this now. Because the pleasures and the happinesses that this world offers are so temporary that people whose hearts are after that struggle with commitment. But once those things are correctly achieved, three, letter, three words, in the Lord, then you can begin to make some very real commitments you can make some real commitments to yourself. Oh, hallelujah. You can make some real commitments to yourself. I'm not going to do the whole illustration about the New Year's resolution because you've heard it a thousand times. 
It ain't going to work. Newsflash. You want to feel like a failure? Make a bunch of New Year's resolutions. I'll make one. A lot of people are going to feel like failures by February. But it's in the flesh. It changes when it's in the Lord. It's a heart after the things of the world, but when it's a heart after God, it changes. You can actually start to make some commitments to yourself. There's something powerful about when you decide something in the Lord and you make a commitment to yourself that you're going to do something you've never done before, be someone you've never been before, accomplish things for God that you've never accomplished before, and you make a commitment to yourself in the Lord and it comes to pass. It is one of the most strengthening, one of the most valuable, one of the most emboldening things that can happen to a person when they realize I was staring at a mouth but now I'm standing on top. Why? What changed? I turned my heart from the ways of the world and I turned them to the things of Jesus, to the Lord. I made some commitment and I followed through. Make some commitments, some real commitments to yourself and to your future and to your relationships. You can make some real commitments. Instability is the norm of most people today because they are not in the Lord. The reality is that we make the commitments. We make the commitments. We got a few more minutes? We make the commitments. The Bible says, though, that he shall bring it to pass. That's the key ingredient. When we make commitments of ourselves, then we're the ones that have to do it all by ourselves. Right? But when we make it in the Lord, he says... I can help bring that to pass. The only way to achieve what you can do, the only way to achieve more than what we can do in our own ability is to commit to the Lord and let him take us beyond us, beyond what we're capable of. Oh, hallelujah. Let me let you in on a little secret if you don't know it yet. Most people are living beneath just their basic ability. But in God, you actually go beyond your ability. You want to feel like Superman? You want to feel like something like, man, I got this. I can do this. Get in the Lord. Get in the Lord. Turn your heart fully to the Lord. Give all of your desires and all of your strength and all of your ability and everything you've ever wanted to be. Give it to the Lord. Make your commitments unto God and let him raise you up to the thing you are capable of your own and then raise you up higher to the heights you never dreamed were even possible. 
David adds to this commitment. He says in Psalm 37, 6, And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. There's a great commentary on that verse, verse 6. It says this, that it's speaking if you are slandered, if your character is assailed and seems that you are under a cloud, if reproach comes upon you from, the, from wicked people in a way that you can't seemingly do anything about it, if they're lying about you, if they're talking about you, if they're making up stuff about you. That it says, if you will commit the case to God, he will protect your character. I love this commentary on this. He will protect your character and cause the clouds to disperse and all to be as clear in reference to your character and the motives of your conduct as the sun without a cloud. Oh, hallelujah. There are times in life, he goes on to speak about when man cannot meet the assaults that are made on his reputation in which he cannot trace to its source the slanderous accusation in which he cannot immediately explain the circumstances which may have served to give the, the report an appearance of probability. He doesn't know where it came from. He doesn't know how it started. He doesn't know why it looks like it could be possible when it's not possible, amen, but in which he may be perfectly conscious he is innocent. I did not have anything to do with that. And in such cases, the only resource is to commit the whole matter to God. And there is nothing that may be more safely left with him, nothing that God will more certainly protect than the injured reputation of a good, righteous person because God looks down and says I know my child I know who they are I know what they've done their heart is towards me their ways are towards me and the world says I don't like that I don't like the way you're trying to live so I'm going to lie on you and make up stuff about you and talk about you behind your back and God says you can't do anything about that son but I'm going to step in and I'm going to cause all of the darkness so go away. I'm going to bring the truth out. I'm going to shine the light with no clouds. Oh, there are some benefits. The sister said it tonight. There are some benefits to giving yourself wholly, wholeheartedly unto the Lord. It's more than just speaking in tongues. It's more than just having an awesome church service. There are some benefits when you serve the Lord. The Lord has your Back. God says, I will make it right. If you will commit the matter to me, I'll make it right. I'll see you safe. And then David says, something here that is powerfully needed. What, what can we expect to come after trust and delight and commitment? Psalm 37, 7. Rest, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. 
to be silent and still while the Lord works. To let God work, speak, and direct without our fearful interrupting. Oh, that's a precious thing. It's a precious thing, oh hallelujah, to trust in the Lord and delight in the Lord and commit thy way unto the Lord because then you can rest in the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. The rest, hear me now, the rest that is so desperately needed in our day is not physical alone. It's not physical alone. Although I bet most people in this room are not getting enough sleep. I'm just going to say that right now. And you can, talk to the, you can talk to your people around here that help with these things. None of us are sleeping enough. Hear me. The rest. The rest. It's not physical that is so desperately needed the most. It's the mental. It's the emotional. The relational. Sometimes you're so physically tired because of the mental. Because of the emotional, because of the relational. We struggle with exhaustion in these areas because we lack patience. We tend to act haphazardly and without meditation upon the results. We jump in with both feet before we realize it's too deep and we can't get back out. James 1, and I'm coming to a close, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But, oh, that's, that's awesome. It doesn't end there. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire. Wanting nothing. That is rest. That's the rest that your soul craves. That's the rest that this world has no answer for. Cannot give you no matter what it tries. Wanting nothing. Romans 5, 3, 4, 5, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. We glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Why is God always trying to get patience in us? Why does he got all these ways that somehow lead to patience? Because patience is powerful. Because patience brings about the things that our soul craves and desires and it fills voids in our life like nothing else can do. Tribulation work with patience and patience experience and experience hope and hopeth make not, maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our what? <sighs> our hearts get right. My hearts get right when I got 
patient. When I get patient and I let patience start to work on me, it starts working. It doesn't start on my mind. It doesn't start on my physical will. It starts on my heart. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. That God is not in a hurry because growth takes time. It takes time. Oh, but you, you, can, you can struggle with that and struggle with that and struggle with that. And all you're going to do is slow it down. Or you can just embrace patience and be at rest and say, God's got this. You can just embrace it. Quit looking at the calendar. Quit counting the days. Quit talking to God. When's this going to happen? When's that going to happen? When's this promise going to true? When's this going to How come you haven't done this? Just slow down. Be patient. And he'll change that part of your heart that's actually working against you. It's working against you. It's trying to pull you to the shallow end of the pool. It's trying to keep you into the meaningless stuff of life. God's trying to take you into the, the good stuff. He's trying to take you into the depths, into the heights. But you've got to be patient. Stand with me if you would, please. Hear this. God knows that more important results may be secured by delay than would be gained by an immediate <laughs> response. God says, I can just give you that right now. Or I can work on your heart. And the more important thing is that he works on my heart. And all of the other things will come to pass. Because remember, he's the one in control of them coming to pass. He's in control of that. So David returns to where he started, 37, 7 through 9, last verse, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath, fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. They that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. This thing is designed, this apostolic Pentecostal life is designed to get us all the way home. It's not designed just for today. It's not just about this year. It's not just about that. It's about all the way home. 
Can we lift our hands and close our eyes and just talk to the Lord a little bit? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. This would be a good time if you've got some impatience in you. This would be a good time. Lord, I need you to work on my heart. If you're struggling with commitment, this would be a good time. Lord, I need you to work on my heart. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, let's just talk to the Lord a little bit. Just pray now. Just pray and talk to the Lord a little bit. What is the thing that you need? What is the thing that you got to talk to God about? Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, as we talk to the Lord just a little bit, I'm going to have Pastor come on up here, but let's talk to the Lord just a little bit more. Let the word just kind of sink in. We're looking for that rest. We're looking for that rest. But there's patience. Patience is needed. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. In the name of the Lord our God. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Amen. I want to open this altar. Let's all come down and find a place to pray and respond to the word of the Lord. How many know the Lord has talked to our hearts tonight? Amen. Come, come on down if you're physically able and, and just lift your voice. Lift your hands. Lift your voice. Amen. Let's respond to the presence of the Lord right now. Let's respond to the word of the Lord right now.